everyone. Welcome to Everyman BJJ, a weekly show covering MMA and BJJ news and training tips. And we're live. Good afternoon. Hi, everyone. Noah Green, good afternoon. Carlos Condit, good afternoon. I'm Frank Forza. This is Everyman BJJ podcast. We're very lucky to have Carlos Condit on here today. Um, a lot of you, if you're a UFC fan, if you're a, even more, if you're a WEC fan, if you were if you were a fan back then, World Extreme Cage Fighting, Carlos is a former world champion, World Extreme Cage Fighting. He's the, he was an interim title holder in the UFC. He fought for the UFC title, lost a razor-thin decision to Robbie Loyler. We'll talk a little bit about that. But for those who don't know who Carlos is, if you don't know who he is, why should you stay tuned? This, you know... What's interesting about Carlos that fascinated me is this is a guy who had a lot of options. His father, Brian, was the chief of staff for Bill Richardson. Bill Richardson, who served in one of the United States president's cabinets, um, was also a three-time governor of the state of New Mexico. So Brian comes from a family where, you know, his dad is, is, is you know, it piped in very well in the political world. And Carlos had his choice of doing what he wanted to do, and he chose of all things, cage fighting. And, you know, and, and the other thing that, that really stands out to me about you, Carlos, is you going back to the early WBC day, uh, days over a decade ago, you never looked the part. And what I, what I mean by that is that a lot of people, even back then, 10, 15 years ago, had this stereotype of what a fighter looks like, how a fighter talks, right? And you're this guy, you, you know, you've got you look, you've got the baby looks, you're not a big talker, you know, you're not for the trash talk, but the first time I watched you fight, I think it might have been the John Alessio fight in, in WEC, the first time I saw you fight, um, it was like, you fight, and I hope you don't take offense to this, but you fight in, in some ways, in some ways like a Diaz brother. You have that, like a Terminator thing, which was, you're just coming forward, you're stalking opponents, and you're not looking to win a decision. You were, I'm not saying maybe you evolved. We can talk about that. But you were that you were a you had a very finisher mindset and you seemed at times impervious to pain. You were willing to take one to give one. And again, a lot of people when they first laid eyes are like, wow, this guy's skinny, because you just look skinny, kind of like a Diaz brother, right? Very different. You have your own style, you're very different from the Diaz brothers. But what you had in common was that I'm gonna stalk you, I'm gonna get you. You can't hurt me. I've got the you, you've got that stamina for days. You've got that cardio for days. And that was when I, it made an impression when the first time I saw you, I'm like, wow, this guy's you. You know what, what I could tell about you then? I was like, this guy wants to win. I could see right away like you, a guy like you, a guy like Dustin Poirier. It's like you talk about will to win. Your will to win is, is just really up there, even by elite high level um fighter standards so it's a pleasure to have you on here we're going to talk about everything from from denim jeans you know carlos is is probably going to be best best known for pushing jeans at some point i think that that is fighting days we're going to talk about those denim jeans we're going to talk about life after fighting because you took a break there we're going to talk about life balance we're going to talk about mindset so carlos uh welcome to the show Hey man, well yeah, no, I appreciate the intro, <laughs> um, and yeah, thanks for having me on. So let's let's dive into the natural born killer moniker. That was your that was your moniker. Did that remain your moniker later in your fighting career, or did you drop it? 
Uh, no, it's still, it's still, uh, still the, the ring name. I'm, you know, it's, I've, uh, it's one of those things like, you know, it's something from way, way back in the day that you, you kind of sticks with you. Um, but no, it's, I mean, that's, that's still what Bruce Buffer says. What what is the what is the story behind that nickname? It's not the, the natural born killer. What's the story behind that one? Uh, well, like uh, so, I, I think at, at that point or like when when it came about, I had I was young. I was a, even. I mean, this was way before the WEC. This was I was like I mean I couldn't even I I, I wasn't even shaving. Like I I didn't you know I was super young. And I think in my first two years of, of fighting professionally, I had like 12 wins by first round in the first round, 12 first round finishes. And, um, you know, I just, I had a, you know, more, more of like a fighting for survival mindset than anything. You know, it was, you know, of course I wanted to win, but I also would, would fight out of, um, a, like a, a place of like, well, losing looks like it hurts really bad. And I would much rather, you know, be be on the be on the other side of that and just get this thing taken care of. The, the quicker I can get in there and get this thing done, you know, the, the quicker I'm out of out of danger. So, you know, that 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 mindset. So my as we say, you know, the old saying fighting is 90 percent mental and the mindset that you had, you mentioned, hey, Frank, survival just. When I was just thinking of it in survival terms, when you win, you get hurt less. That makes sense to me. So I'm out there to finish people. I'm out there to have the quickest night possible emerge, you know, with the least damage that I can. In terms of mindset, we see we see fighters and other athletes going to see sports psychologists. We see people, you know, whatever, ordering Tony Robbins CDs. Your mindset, was that just you? Was that just pretty much all you? Yeah, I mean, I uh, that. I've, I've seen, and I've talked to sports psychologists more recently, um, you know, it, a, co a couple fight camps ago, but, um, no, that was just, that was just how I, how I was geared, I guess. Why did you finally decide to seek out a sports psych? I mean, you had a stretch in the UFC there. First of all, you were just, you know, you're, you are an elite fighter. I mean, you, if you, if anybody who followed your career, a heck of a career, you were a guy that I'm, I'm thinking, I'm imagining that a lot of really good fighters were like, I'd rather not fight. It, just in the sense, not, not that they were scared, but just like, oh man, you know, like, it, you know, it's, it's, that's going to be a tough one. Like this guy's hard to stop. That's going to be a war of attrition. And then you had, you know, you get a little bit older, whatever, you lose the split decision to Robbie Loyler for the UFC title. So that's what's, that's what's amazing about your story. You're, you're like, you know, you're a world champion with WEC. So I consider you a world champion, by the way, for anybody watching, you are a world champion. I mean, the, the WEC was there, you know, there are a ton of fighters, as we know, from the WEC who crossed over to, to the UFC and shocked people at, you know, Donald Cerrone, Anthony Pettis, Dustin Poirier, you, and we could go on and on and on. J Joseph Benavidez, Dominic Cruz, Jose Aldo, I mean, Uriah Faber, on and on and on, right? There's so much talent there. So to be the best, even in, in that division, and then they fuse it to UFC, it's it's quasi UFC title. But I know that you're probably, I mean, I know before that fight, you're still probably thinking like most people don't look at it like that. There is a cachet 
to say UFC champ for the rest of your life. You get the fight with Robbie. Razor thin. I actually had you winning the fight. I did. I'm, I'm on social media. I got blasted by people. I think I lost friends over that. Seriously. Like I, I lost people who like, you know, it was close with They're kind of like, yeah, I, I had you winning the fight, but you lose that. You're so close to a UFC title. And, and then after that, you lose four more fighting the best competition, but you lose four more. So you lose five in a row, which is just very not like Carlos Condit. You're a guy who is just, you know, right there with the best. You could make a close fight of it with anybody before that. You met, you had the close fight with Robbie, then you lose four more. So you'll lose five in a row. Is that when you decided to go see the sports psychologist? And what was your thinking that led you to that? Um, yeah, well, it was, it was during that, during that skid where I was losing fights, um, you know, I was, I was just trying to figure it out. I, you know, I, I obviously something wasn't clicking. Um, I had a similar, similar formula that had brought me success in the past, but I was just not showing up fight night. And so I was, I, I sought out a, a, a sports psychologist to see, you know, what, what, what can we tweak here? And, um, worked with them, and I actually lost the fight after afterwards. But I still think it was helpful. It was part of the process of getting back to where where I'm at now, where I'm all in again. I am enjoying it. I want to be there. You know, fight, fight week. I'm I'm chomping at the bit to fight again, which had you know, which was a thing that had left me for a little while. What What was your biggest takeaway? What stands out about your your consultation with the sports psychologist, what were a couple of takeaways from that? Um, you know, one, one of, one of them was basically build each fight as, as a story. What's, what's the story around this fight? Um, as if I'm, you know, and, 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 and throughout training camp, I'm, I'm writing this story, right? I have, if I put every day and every training, every session, everything that I, everything that I was doing in preparation into a, in, into a film or a highlight reel, what would that look like? And um, that, that helped a lot. So, you know, just, just having this, this mental picture of my mind of, you know, of, of pre preparing and what, what I'm preparing for. Um, so that was part of it. Um, you know, basically every, every single training, training session, every, Every meal, every, you know, every piece of it was something that I was putting in, putting in the bank towards, you know, ultimately cashing out in the fight. I see. So what has shifted for you? You mentioned you're all in again. You really enjoy being out there again. What? Well, that presupposes that maybe, I mean, when. If your motivation waned, if you saw a difference, like let's say if you did see a difference, was, and, I, and I'm asking the question, I don't know the answer, but was it like when you lose a razor thin fight like that's a loyler, did that take anything from you in terms of motivation? Did that affect, did that affect you, your motivation anyway? You're all in this in any way? What was the net effect of that or, did the, or the opposite? Did that make you more hungry? What did that do? Because you were so you're right there. You were right there. Mm -hmm. I had to win in the fight. What what was yeah. the what was the psychological you know reaction? How did you emerge after that Loyola fight? So close. It's like losing a Super Bowl. It's like you're right there, and then boom. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, well, it took its toll on me. And I, I don't think that I was honest with myself about how, um, how tough that was. And I kind of just like, you know, what, whatever, you know, you win some, you lose some. But, you know, in reality, it was it was tough. And I didn't I didn't allow myself to feel that. And I didn't allow myself to be to be like devastated because I, I really was. And, um, you know, that that spun out in my personal life and a lot of different stuff, um, you know, kind of kind of went down and all of that compounded. and. I think was, was a big part of why I've not been, a, you know, I, I hadn't been um, the last couple of years performing to the best of my ability and fighting like I, I know I can. Now, when we talk in fighting or we talk in any ecosystem about someone's why, like that's a big thing. Now, what's your why? And if you have a weak why, then you're not going to have, you know, you're not going to be all in. You're not going to produce the results. Wise can change throughout someone's career, right? Wise can change different seasons of our life, as you just said, with different storylines, right? That you can you can write different new stories, you can write new chapters. Our lives are not stagnant; they don't stay still, right? We can reinvent. What was the original why for you? Because I've always found that fascinating about you. You grew up in a house where your dad is the chief of staff to the governor, right? And you've got. You're just you're set up right there. You're set up if you wanted to go into, you know, whatever, be a lobbyist, if you wanted to be a politician, if you wanted to do whatever business stuff, too. I mean, a person who's chief of staff is a pretty well connected person, I'm assuming. And so you chose a much different path. What was the why fueling you there? Um, well, you know, like I. You know, my my background, you know, with with my dad having a, you know, a, a career in, in state government and politics is, um, you know, it's not necessarily what you would think. I mean, I, I come from I come I'm come I come from a troubled, troubled background. Um, I was a troubled kid. Um, I, you know, I fighting was a thing that um, was a was a positive in my life that kept me on track from really going down you know, re really, you know, going off the rails too far. Um, and the, the reason, my reason was that I loved it. I absolutely loved to fight. I loved mixed martial arts. I loved, I loved it before I had ever even competed, you know, for the, from the first time I watched the UFC, I was hooked. I was a fan. This is, I was nine years old when I first saw the UFC and um followed it all through that time that there was you know no tv deals and you know the dark ages of of the sport and um you know i i just i i loved it i loved it from the first time i stepped into a gym you were a high school wrestler how many years did you wrestle um well i wrestled i started wrestling when i was nine um i wrestled from nine until i was about 15 or 16 and then you know like i said in high school i was i i was uh i was troubled man i was a, i was a wayward kid um wasn't going to school much i didn't uh, i didn't make grades to wrestle so i don't i think i wrestled one varsity match um you know in in high school um just just because i was uh you know i i didn't you know at the time school wasn't my uh, wasn't my priority at all now you're not known for your wrestling. However, you did have a phenomenal 
uh, you know, wrestling slash judo slash some other traditional martial art. You had a great takedown there against Matt Brown, which is going to make highlight reels and a lot of people raved about. Um, how how were you? Because that, that would have been, once upon a time, that would have been considered a weakness of Carlos Condit. Like, hey, Condit's not, he, you can put him on his back. He's not a wrestler, right? How did you do when you when you were wrestling? I know you had the issues with eligibility, academic ineligibility, but how how were you as a wrestler in your younger days? Um, I was tough. Like I was, I I wasn't. Um, I don't think I was the most technical wrestler, but I was I was tough. I I, I did okay. Um, I I I lost, a, you know, a decent amount. I think I I was a decent wrestler. Um. And you know when when I got into when I got into MMA, I was really young, and there was no other kids training at the time. There's no young, no young guys, no guys my size really. And I was I was training with all full grown men. And when I got into it, I was like, oh, jujitsu, I can beat these guys. Like I can't, you know, these, these dudes are stronger than me. I'm not going to be able to, you know, overpower them. Um, but it, but. I can learn a really good guard game and I could still win. I can still submit these guys. And so my, my wrestling took a back seat. And for a long time, that was advantageous. But later on in my career, um, it obviously became an Achilles heel of mine. Your father, um, Brian, what, when you initially got into, you know, um, mixed martial arts and your training, what was your dad's response when you told him I want to fight professionally? What was what was his was there resistance there? What was the advice that your father gave to you oh, and your mother as well? Both of them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, those are yeah, th those are two two different <laughs> two different responses. Um my dad was supported from day one. Um you know, when I when I first started this, I didn't even uh, I didn't have a car. I didn't have a driver's license. So my dad took me to, took me to practice every day. And, you know, he, same with, same with wrestling, same with any other sport that I was involved in. My dad was very, um, uh, very supportive. Uh, my mom was worried, you know, my mom's uh, uh, a health professional. She's a nurse. And, you know, of course she's thinking of all the, the terrible things that could happen. Um, so no, nah, it was, I, I you know, and, and you got to remember that the sport wasn't what it is today. It was very underground. It was us going and fighting down in, you know, livestock stockades down in southern New Mexico and bars and very, you know, kind of sketchy venues. And so, you know, that was uh, it, it was a different world for sure. What was interesting about you early on as well is you had your head coach at the time. I forget his name. Nice guy, tradition, you know, very, very nice guy. And you went against the grain. Not only was the sport, you know, there wasn't a lot of money in the sport. Um, and so, you know, it was a very bold decision for you and any fighter to be like, I'm going to make my living at this because there wasn't any assurance whatsoever that, that you'd make any money. But you had, you know, your your original head coach, and you can tell us his name in, in a second. But you had Greg Jackson's, you know, that was like that's supposed to be one of the best, um, you know, MMA academies in the world. And John Jones is there, and Diego Sanchez, and and many others. And yet you still remain loyal for a long time to your original coach. Tell us about that, and 
and you know what your thought process was because some people were probably thinking Carlos is hurting his career. He's got Greg Jackson a couple of miles away, and I think that the gym. Your in fact, your your instructor then the gyms were very very close to each other. It was like they were. I guess the Greg Jackson Academy and your your academy where you train were were very close. And so you know, if I remember correctly, you could you could you had to kind of drive by Greg Jackson's academy to get to that. So you're driving by one of the best and most hailed academies, but you stayed loyal. Tell me, tell us about that, about the loyalty, the, you know, your coach there and why you were uh, loyal for so long. So, okay. <laughs> it's a, it's a long, uh, long story, but um, so my, my original trainer was a guy named uh, 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 Tom Vaughn, uh, Tom Vaughn and uh, Arlene Vaughn, who is his wife. Um, she had been a, a, a professional kickboxer, world champion kickboxer in the 80s. Um, Tom was actually one of Greg Jackson's black belts. They, When I first started training, I was training at Jackson's. At, it was basically just a, a another location of Jackson's that Tom Vaughn ran with Arlene. Um, over the years... Uh, there was a, a, a gradual, a gradual breakup. You know, they changed the name, but we still competed as a team together. Um, and then at a certain point, okay, we're not, we're not training with them anymore. They're, they're a separate team. There's been a complete fracture, and there's a fall. You know, whatever. There's a fracture. Um, we are no longer, uh, you know, of, in the same team. Um, Tom Vaughn and Arlene are. Fantastic coaches. Um, some of the, some of the best that I that I that I've ever encountered, and I know a lot of coaches. Um, they still train, you know. They they train Tim Means. Um, they trained uh, uh, Nico Montoya. Um, they train, you know. They 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 trained Ray Borg at, at a certain point. Um, fantastic trainers. Um, I stayed with them through until uh, about two thousand eight. Um, and while I was still the, while I was still a WEC champion and ended up, ended up going off on my, my own, you know, uh, you know, I kind of, I needed a breakout. I needed to see other things. And, um, you know, I, I had, I had, a, 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 a you know, I was a, uh, an incredibly lucky, um, young man to have come across, uh, that academy, that academy, they shaped who the fighter that I was. Um, they took me under their wing personally. They gave me a job. Um, and you know, that, that was, that's the story there. Gaido, Gaido, how do you pronounce it? Gaido Jitsu? Is it Gaido Jitsu? Gaido Jitsu. Yeah. Oh, it's Gaido Jitsu, not, not Jitsu. Cause it's, I saw it. So it's, it's Gaido Jitsu. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So I, I had one of my stories. So back when I was a blue belt, I had a tournament here in Las Vegas and it had, you know, a bunch of jujitsu athletes and, uh, you know, some jiu-jitsu athletes had wrestling. And then we had a Greg Jackson. Um, um, actually, I was a well, maybe I was a purple belt. But anyway, it was it was like it was the expert division because back then. If you went to like Naga or Grappler's Quest, or I think it was a Grappler's Quest, the expert division was three years and above, right? So if you had three years and above of experience, you could you could enter the expert division. Of course, a lot of guys would try to sandbag, right? There's guys with five years of experience who would do intermediate to try to to try to enter it. But I had had my three years of experience. I was a, a fresh purple belt, and there was a black belt, 
in Gaido Jitsu from Greg Jackson's um, academy. Uh, and he was, you know, probably about 15, 20 pounds heavier and he was a stud and, and, and he, uh, he submitted me and I've, and I've rarely been submitted in competition, but, um, so he's pretty, you know, I didn't know what Gaido, that was my introduction to Gaido Jitsu was like that. This guy's pretty good. Um, you're also, I think what I saw, you're a brown boat in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. Is that correct, Carlos? Um, no, I, I, I've never actually been belted other than recently I've been belted, um, you know, in, in, from, from a 10th planet instructor. Um, but up till, you know, up till just recently, like a year ago, I've never been belted. Um, you know, when we started out, it was not really, we were so geared towards, um, MMA or Valley Tudo at the time that, uh, it was almost, at least who I, the, the people that I was working with, it was like the, the whole belt system was seen as too, like too traditional martial art. You know, it was not, um, it wasn't really their style. So I, I'm like a, a, a purple belt under, um, you know, a, a purple belt in the, in the 10th planet, you know, under 10th planet system, even though I've been training for, you know, 20 plus years. And you've, and you've, probably undoubtedly uh you've submitted black belts and and, and all and 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 so forth got how would you describe gaidu gaidu jitsu for people who don't know what it is like how would you i mean it's are we splitting hairs here it's very it's very similar to say 10th planet jiu-jitsu what's what distinguishes it as a grappling martial art um i well i think at the time it was um it was like every, they, there was jujitsu guys and there were strikers and there was wrestlers. Um, what, what set Greg Jackson's gym apart at the time was that they were really uh, fusing all these different martial arts together. They had a, a number of guys. There was a handful of guys who were the first, the, the first, the pioneers in Albuquerque. And um, they came from like uh, wrestling, judo, jujitsu, Kempo and like kickboxing and basically putting everything together. Um, you know, it said to what we consider today, uh, like martial like MMA, um, you know, well, well-rounded fighters who are strikers and grapplers. Um, I, yeah, I don't think, I think it's basically just MMA before there was actually well-rounded MMA fighters is, is I guess in a nutshell, how I would describe it. But it's it's not really as um, as relevant today because that's just MMA. Right, right. So, do you have any interest, whether it be Tenth Planet or Brazilian Jiu Jitsu? You have the skills. You're you're a very good grappler. You're a very good all around fighter. Do you have any interest? Does it mean anything to you? Are you motivated to actually get a black belt in say 10th planet or Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, would that mean anything to you? Is that important to you? Um, I, I would, I would be, I'd be stoked. You know, the, the thing that I love about what I do and you asked about why's my current why is that I continue to evolve. I, there's still so much to learn. I've been doing, jiu-jitsu for over 20 years and i am still learning there's still so much to learn and, and um if in the process i can move up in rank and and get a belt cool um 
not super important to me, but continuing to develop my skills and become the best, you know, the, the best grappler, the best submission fighter that I can be, that is important. In terms of, of uh, New Mexico, you've got, I mean, whenever you watch the UFC countdowns, you know, New Mexico, first of all, New Mexico is kind of, it's kind of an outlier because even in the early days, in the pioneering days of MMA and UFC, like New Mexico came out of nowhere. Like what are, how has New Mexico happened to be producing like, I mean, or at least attracting the talent? It's just not, you know, California made sense, right? Even Vegas makes sense to have these mega camps, these great camps. Um, you know, even this part of the, you know, Oregon where they had team, you know, a, 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 you know, extreme coach, they had uh, Randy Couture and Robert Follis and Dan Hendry. I mean, you know, New York might even make sense. Florida might make sense. But New Mexico is kind of like a curveball. Like, how is New Mexico, like, what is it in the water down there that they're able to, just kind of random, right? To me, at least, it seemed like, what is it about, is it, was it just Greg Jackson? Like, how did they, how were they able to just kind of come out of nowhere and establish kind of a juggernaut atmosphere for MMA athletes? What, what was what were the factors that came together that you saw? Because it just seems weird. Like, oh, yeah, go to New Mexico. Like, you know, 20 years ago, it was like, that, that's kind of, well, why New Mexico? Like, if someone told me, go to New Mexico, the great, training's great there. Like, well, well New Mexico, like, mm -hmm. California, maybe. I mean, Brazil, maybe. Vegas, maybe. But but New Mexico, what, what was going on down there? What came together to make that such a great atmosphere of training? Um. Well, I, you know, it's a, it's a number of things, and I touched on it earlier. Was that um, Greg brought brought these different guys together, and um, there there's a there's a handful of guys, and all of them are most of them are still in in the game. They're still training fighters, and um, I think they were basically just maybe training in Greg's in Greg's garage or his basement, and they're all, you know, they're all exceptional martial artists, um, great coaches. And, um, so there, there's that piece to it. Um, uh, and then there's, there's a, there's a tradition, a tradition of, of, uh, um, of fighting here. Like there's, we've had pro boxers going back for, for a long ways. We have pro kickboxers. Um, and now that MMA has been, you know, has, has burst onto the stage, um, you know, MMA has obviously been a, you know, a, a, a big thing to come out of, or I don't know, I don't know what exactly how to say it, but we're, you know, we've, we've made our, we've made our name in, uh, in the MMA world. Um, so that, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of different things. Um, it's a tough place to grow up. Like people who come from here are, are used to fighting. They're, you, you know, doesn't matter what, what part of town you're from in Albuquerque. Um, it's, it's tough. It's, it can be tough. And, and there's kind of a, there's a, a, an edge and a grit to, to people who, who grow up here. So I think that's part of it. Um, and then we've also been able to attract, or Greg has been able to attract, um, blue chip level fighters, like from, from GSP, Rashad Evans, Nate Marcourt, John Jones now, um, you know, you know, uh, alongside the, uh, the, the, the born and raised fighters like uh, me and Holly and, um, you know, like a guy like Diego Sanchez. 
just random question really quick. Now, let, let's stay on New Mexico for a second. So New Mexico, one of the visions I have of you is those UFC countdowns where I see you running that hill, right? You got New Mexico is roughly whatever. You have 8,000, 9,000 feet altitude, probably even higher than that. There, talk, talk to me about altitude because you happen to be a fighter who's got great stamina. Some of that's mindset. Maybe some of that's genetic. A lot of that's hard work. What role does the altitude play in terms of the cardio giving you a mental edge? Tell me about your relationship with the altitude there in New Mexico and what that does to you as a fighter in terms of your gas tank, in terms of preparation. What's the significance of the altitude for a fighter? Well, you know, I, I don't know physiologically how much of an edge it gives you. You know, Albuquerque is it's about a mile high. And then we have the mountain that's close that, that goes up to about 10,000 feet. And so I don't know exactly how much of an actual edge you could quantify that it gives you. Um, but, but I think mentally, if you think that you have an edge, if you think that, you know, training, training at altitude is going to give you that, that edge in a, in a, in a combat situation, um, I think that's huge. And, you know, I, I think a lot of a lot, like my endurance, I've been an athlete. I've been a full time athlete since I was five years old. Um, I played soccer. Um, I swam when I every I swam every summer from about five years old till I was a, a teenager. Um, you know, I think a big, big part of my, you know, my conditioning is just built over time. Um, probably living here also. Like I said, I don't know exactly the the, the, the science as to how much of an advantage. Um, being at, at altitude gives you. Um, but I mean, it's, it's, uh, I know people get altitude sickness when they come here, if they're not used to it. So there's, that's something. Um, so going in reverse, you know, I going, going down to sea level, I, I do feel fantastic. When you look at yourself as a fighter, what are, I guess, you know, it's almost like a video game where you can pick the strengths of of a, of a certain you know player in the video game, but every mm-hmm. time there's a certain strengths, every time we emphasize something, it's at the expense of something else. Right? There's a boxing game where you can choose to be very powerful, but the fighter might not have the same cardio. If you had to pick the three top qualities of Carlos Condit as a fighter, what would they be? And and, and give us an explanation of them. Sure. Um, well, I think conditioning. You know, I think that's that's one. Uh, maybe creativity. Uh, I, you know, I, I have a very well-rounded skill set, and I think I mix things up and kind of come come at things in a very different, different, uh, uh, you know, from a different approach. And um, I don't know, maybe maybe heart. You know, I I won't stop unless I'm stopped. And I don't I don't know if that's the same for for all fighters. Who do you think is the best uh, MMA fighter of all time and why? Uh, I think I think it's John Jones. Um, John Jones, the, the 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 champions that he's beaten consistently and the duration of his reign as champion. Um, you know, just from a, a from an objective standpoint, John. You know, I I consider John the 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 goat. Have you ever trained with him, John? Oh yeah, I've trained with John um, for I don't know, like t- like a, like a decade. 
Describe the experience of training with John. John Jones. John, uh, John's very, he's got a, a, a playful approach to, to sparring. You know, John's, you know, quite a bit bigger than I am, but we, but we can work. Um, and, and we can, we can learn, you know, we can, we can collaborate and we can work on it, work on different stuff rather than, you know, just, you know, get, getting crushed because or me getting crushed because, you know, he's so much bigger than me. When he, when he first came to Albuquerque, I had more experience than he did. Um, he like, I, the, the, the amount of development that I've seen in John since then has, you know, it's been phenomenal. Everybody's seen it. You've seen it as he's competed, but uh, as from a teammate or as a teammate, I I've seen, I've seen him develop his power. You know, I would, you know, when I, when he first came out, I, I had no, no qualms about standing, you know, standing in the pocket and trading shots with him. Um, as he developed his power, I'm like, nope, that's cool. I'm going to stick with guys, my own, uh, uh, <laughs> my own weight class, because that's not fun anymore. What do you, you know, what's interesting about, and I've actually been a, you know, I've been a John Jones defender in many ways. Noah has said, you know, we both have said this, you know, we're that sort of the every man part of what every man means is it's like the, you know, the hero in every person, the, you know, all of the, 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 the gifts that are, that, that lie a lot of time dormant in people, but like, we're all a work in progress. We're all, as Noah has said, as I have said, we're all John Jones. We're, you know, people sit on the sidelines a lot. And John's had his his moments, you know, which have not been flattering. Um, but and, and and of course he attracts a lot of criticism then, but he is widely beloved by his teammates. He is a phenomenal fighter, and you know, and 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 someone like you knows that other side of him that other people don't know. People just gang up on him every time he has a low point and and they like to, you know, circle him like like uh, hyenas or something, but you know a different John Jones. Tell me about the John Jones that you know that maybe a lot of people out there, especially as critics, don't. Um, you know, John is an incredibly hardworking, dedicated athlete. Um, he's he's talented, um, but talent doesn't mean anything without the the, the time dedicated to 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 the craft. Um, you know, there. You know, his uh, he, the the trouble that he's got got in over the last, you know, you know, whatever, however many years, is disappointing. You know, I, I I like John as a friend. Um, it it's yeah, it's it's disappointing to to see him go through things. But you know, he's he's continued to get up every time he's fallen down. He gets up, and I think that's that's the measure of a man. Not you know, not his. Not not the adversity, but what he does with it, and you know, like you said, everybody's a work in progress. Um, you know, we don't we don't know where the story goes for any of us. You know, and John John's story is it is very visible because he is a fighter of his caliber and has achieved the greatness that he has. So I mean, it's a uh, you know that's it's a. It's a it's hard to be in the spotlight. In terms of adversity, we were we talked earlier about the Robbie Loyler fight fighting for the UFC title, lost that split decision. Um, 
was that the most adversity you faced in your life or have there been you know other adversities that you might talk about and say hey i went through this adversity and it gave me this it it showed me this was that the most adverse or was there something else well i i that was i think that was that fight was the catalyst for a lot of different things man um i you know i i, I quit drinking when i was like 27 i got sober um and after the after the Lawler fight, man, I got I got myself into a number of situations, which ultimately led to me relapsing and falling off the wagon. Um, you know, in in that time, I I messed up my marriage. Um, I went through a divorce. Um, you know, I you know I'm just you know I'm I'm a couple of years past that and out the other side. And but that like 2016 was incredibly uh uh hard for me so carlos you're telling me what i'm what i'm hearing and and i and i if i was to sit here and talk about all the you know the, the stuff i went through too i went through quite a bit of stuff you so you were winning fights and you had a great gas tank and you were finishing guys even when you were drinking a lot more than most fighters you, you were you were still drinking you know were you drinking during camps or just off-season camp what was your relationship with alcohol you know even while you were winning fights yeah no i i i was a i was a party animal like i when i was young especially when i was real young like even in wec I would party for I would party for months on end. Go uh, go in and do a four or five week camp, and then go out and do a five round fight um, because that's just how I how I operated for for a long time. Um, yeah, and I don't know I don't know if I was drinking more or less than other fighters, but I was you know it, for me it was it was uh, <laughs> it was not not a good thing. Um, and yeah, I was still, I was still able to operate, but that's how, when I started, when I started training, I was, I was doing the same shit when I was 16, 17, 18 years old, all, all of that had already started. And so it was just what I knew. So some of the adversities you had, you know, you, alcohol was a thing and you had the Loyler loss split decision right there, you know, this close to being a UFC champion. You had a divorce. And what's interesting about that, I have I have a divorce as well. And that really that, you know, my divorce combined with someone I love being really sick, combined with financial problems related to the divorce, man, they set me like it set me in a tailspin. Right. I, that was like my tailspin mm -hmm. moment in life where that was like my awakening where I, you know, I had to hit bottom. And then when I thought I'd hit bottom, I actually hit another bottom. And I was like, well, maybe this is bottom. And then I hit another bottom. And then, but that was also where the epiphanies and the, and the aha moments and the awakening came and the empowerment came. But, but for you, the, it seems to me like when, when, when there are breakups, when a guy, when a, when a male fighter loves his girlfriend, when he really loves his wife, they're a breakup. I've seen that be very devastating to a number of fighters. Was that. Mm -hmm. What, you know, when you talk about where that, that five fight losing skid and where you weren't, you know, you go through that was the law, you know, the loss of marriage. Was that a big one for you in terms of the, you know, um, in terms of affecting your fighting, affecting your performances? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, all of it. I mean, my, my head was was elsewhere. 
You know, I, and there's, there's a number of factors, but that was a huge one. Um, in terms of the, um, in terms of your, you know, you've won two in a row now, beat Matt Brown. I mean, that's a fight. It's amazing that the Matt Brown fight wasn't made sooner. It's just like, it would seem inevitable, you know, however long Carlos Scott has been fighting 15 years, however long it's been, Matt Brown's been out there forever. And, and you guys, to my knowledge, it never fought. That was, it was like, that was a long time coming. Right. And it, it's amazing because in some ways you're fighting a guy, like it's amazing how similar you are. I actually, no disrespect to Matt Brown, who I've been, I've been in the same gyms where we've trained. Matt Brown's always been respectful. Um, but I, I have Carlos Condit. I think even the resume, I have Carlos Condit as, you know, I liked him in the fight because I'm thinking Carlos Condit is just plain and simple based on resume, based on just looking at skill set, based on everything, the better fighter. You prove that. Mm -hmm. But he does, he has a lot of similarities in sort of that kamikaze Terminator style, the gas tank, mm -hmm. the finisher's mindset. And he, like you, has went through periods of his career where it was like he's done. He lost four in a row. Everybody counted mm -hmm. him out. And then the guy re, you know, reinvents himself and goes on a hot streak. So in some, way, in, in some weird way like that, it is kind of like fighting a mirror image of yourself. Like when you, you get out there and fight Matt Brown. Talk, tell us a little bit about that fight and I guess the thrill of that fight, why you wanted that fight, what that fight meant to you. Uh, yeah, there, there's definitely parallels between Matt's career and maybe even some themes of Matt, you know, in, in our lives that, you know, that are, that are, you know, very, very similar. Um, I, you know, we, we'd been scheduled to fight twice before and, you know, and Matt had got injured twice before, um, you know, guy, he, he, he trains hard, um, you know, it, this, it, it happens, you know, it's just, it's just, a, that's the nature of the nature of the game. You know, if you're training hard, it's a, it's a fine line between, you know, going overboard and, and, and injuring yourself and not making it to the fight and preparing to, um, and, and preparing, you know, adequately to go out and do a cage fight. Um, that being said, uh, I, I agree. I, I felt like I had the, the, the better skill set. Matt is, uh, he he's he's aggressive um he's he's strong he's a physically powerful guy i mean now now having fought him i know these things it's not just you know speculation he's a strong dude um he's he's got a just a a, a, a brutal violent style and i'm a fan like i'm i've always been a fan of matt brown um you know when before the fight i was we're sitting there in the cage they're about to announce our names and I was just, I was so, so stoked, super excited to have come through all that stuff and having had that fight canceled twice before, and we're finally there. We're finally, we made it. Like, you know, not only, you know, other, you know the, the fans have been excited for us to fight for a long time, but I was too. And at that point, I was just, you know, even through COVID, like I, you know, neither of us got COVID, neither of us got you know, neither of us got pulled from the fight. There was a lot of different things that, um, that, that, that came together for us to actually get there. And I was, I was like, I was as excited as I think I've ever been standing in the octagon. What, what has fighting taught you about yourself, Carlos? 
Oh man. Uh, that I, that I'm, that I'm not unbreakable, but that I'm pretty goddamn tough and that I can pick myself up again and again and again. And I'm, I'm pretty hard to keep down. Interesting about you. You've always been, I mean, relatively speaking publicly, at least you've been a man of few words. You don't say a lot. You don't tell the world about how great you are in many ways, especially in a fight world where talking sells fights and talking, you know, people love the talking people eat it up. You're based, you're almost a vent, a throwback, a vintage, a classic, which like, I let my fists do the talking. You're very much that fighter. I let Matt Brown is the same way. You're like, you are that, um, you are that guy. How come, I guess, tell me a little bit about your, um, you know, your, I guess your persona and why have you, because you could make a lot, you could probably, um, Carlos, make a lot more money if you just exaggerated, talk more smack. Why is that not your thing? And why have you decided like, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. That's not me. Well, I, I think that everybody's okay. just got to be who they are. I think that, um, you know, the, the guys that are good at that and it's, it's authentic. It, it reads as authentic and people, people cue in on that. When you see people who are trying too hard, it, you, you can, you can spot it and it doesn't, you know, I think there, there's a number of guys that, that, that try to do that and it's just not real. And I just got to be me. And that's, that's not, not really who I am. Not if I have legitimate like beef with somebody, I, you know, I, I, I may, I may talk some shit, but I, for the most part, I, I respect and have a you know, level of camaraderie with everybody I compete against. Um, you know, who, who knows, like in the future, I don't know, maybe I'll have an issue with somebody I'm, 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 I'm matched against. Um, but I, you know, up to this point, man, I don't know. I, that's just, just not really my style. Has another fighter ever gotten under your skin with their trash talk? Uh, well, uh, you know, I'll be honest, this, this last one with, uh, with, with Matt Brown, um, he, I guess during, during the press conference, pre-fight pe press conference, he was saying that he's going to walk through me and that I didn't have, I didn't have anything for him. And I was like, like, really me? Like, I don't have anything for you. Like who, you know, who, who are you? Uh, <laughs> I, I think you have me mistaken with somebody else, bro. Have you have you ever talked to another fighter during the fight? Like, have you have you done that? And what, what what have you said to them? Have you ever do you ever talk out there? You know what I? You know it's funny. I saw a clip of me fighting in Japan when I was young, and I and I forgot about it. But I I obviously I wasn't talking to the guy. I was a Japanese guy. He didn't speak. He, I didn't speak Japanese. I don't think he spoke English. But I was like I was taunting him. And I, I forgot that that ever happened, but I, there's a video of it. And I'm like, like, go, you know, going like this, he was complaining about something. And I was, I was taunting him and basically calling him a bitch for complaining. So, uh, there's that, that happened. I forgot about that. Um, but I don't, for the most part, no. 
has do you remember anything anyone's ever said to you do fighters talk to you and what sorts of things if they do talk to you what sorts of things have been said to you that you remember during the fights you know what stands out is is fighting um is, is fighting nick diaz 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 was in there chatting talking shit um he you know i think he, he had that 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 famous line of like, oh, we're throwing, we're throwing spinning shit now. Um, that, so that, that, that stands out in my mind, you know, him just, you know, him talking shit like we were on the schoolyard again. No effect on you whatsoever though. I planned on really staying, trying to stay cool, calm, collected and not emotionally engaged in that fight. Like I, I know that that's what he does. Um, his brother fought cowboy like a few weeks before that. And cowboy was cowboy was all fired up. Cowboy went out there, you know, throwing the finger before the fight. They were talking shit beforehand and cowboy cowboy got, got whooped in the fight. And, you know, I saw that and it was already something that was in my, in my head before, to just you know not 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 engage like not not engage in in that and just do what i need to do and stick to the game plan now anyone who's ever watched you fight and i've seen your career through through the entirety of it you, you know, you're again you're you're uh, you're a guy who fights very valiantly you've got a giant heart uh, one of the best in the business the size of your heart but I've seen the best of the best behind the scenes, like a week before the fight, two weeks before the fight. I've seen them be scared or just not themselves. I've seen an Anderson Silva. We know that George St. Pierre wrestled with a lot of the anxiety and the what ifs and what if I lose. You know, even the best fighters are susceptible to that. Tell me about your dance with fear and what 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 were there moments or fights where you were where you were afraid? I'm not talking about in the cage because I've never seen you fight afraid in the cage. I'm talking about your mind playing tricks or your mind messing with you a week before, two weeks before, three weeks before. Tell me about that sure. dance with fear and what 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 fears did you have and what was your what was your mind saying to you? What was that fear saying to you? Sure, um, you know. I wouldn't say it's my mind telling me tricks. I feel like it's my mind telling me the truth. I feel like it's, you know, a, a, you know, a rational, like kind of a, a rational train of thought about like what could happen. Like I'm, I'm fighting another guy who trains to hurt people in devastating fashion, just like me. And there's, there's the, there's the possibility that it's not going to go my way. It's the poss there's a possibility that it's going to be me who's face down on the canvas and running through, running through those scenarios, uh, you know, absolutely brings up anxiety. It acts absolutely makes you question yourself, question your, your, your training, the people you're training with the, you know, what, what you've been doing. Um, it's it's a bit of a roller coaster and it's different every time and I don't know why it's different. Sometimes like this last fight I I really I had some some nerves, not too bad. I've had other fights um where I was crawling out of my skin with anxiety. Um and and actually those have been some of the fights that I had the my best performances. You know, uh before I fought Dan Hardy, I was just crawling out of my skin with anxiety. Before I fought Don Young Kim, 
I was, you know, I was beside myself with, with anxiety. Um, a, a lot of fights, man, that, that I, that I deal with that, but you know, it's, it's, it's riding that wave and it's trusting in your training and it's going out there and believing that, you know, no matter what happens, I'm going to compete to the best of my ability. And there's some things that are out of my control. I may get caught with a shot and I may get knocked out. I'm, you know, it might not be my night, but I can't, I can't dwell on that too much. I have to just go in there and, you know, trust that if I can win, I will win. Are you, you know, every fighter is different with their, with their trainers. Some fighters, like let's even say a, a young Mike Tyson with Gustamato, they rely more like, it's almost like, so, some some fighters, and I've seen that more in boxing, where the fighter, like even Demetrius Johnson sort of exemplifies this. Demetrius Johnson is like, what, and, and I mean this as a compliment, Demetrius, who's one of the all-time greats. It's like, whatever Matt Hume says, like Matt Hume is the brain, and then and then Demetrius is like, like almost like his, you know, his his little, uh, you know, Frankenstein, whatever, you know, he, he's like, he's, he's this little creation. So he's going to do whatever Matt says, exactly as Matt says it. And then you have some fighters like a Dominic Cruz, maybe you who are Dominic Cruz has, you know, Eric Del Fierro. He's got great coaches and he, you know, he's Lloyd Irvin's work with him. He's got great coaches, but everybody who's worked with Dominic says, man, some of this stuff is just Dominic. Dominic just has his thing and he's his, you know, he's, he's his own hype man. Are you the kind of fighter who leans on your trainer more for the motivation? Or when you go through those anxieties, is that just, is that just Carlos? finds a way to silence that voice, the voices of fear, the violence of anxiety. Is that you or will you go to your trainer and your trainer can see, hey, Carlos, I can see this is weighing on you. I can see you're a little anxious for this one. And I want to say blank, blank, blank. Some trainers feel the need to build up certain fighters more than other. Are you do you have that relationship with a trainer or is it more X's and O's? And, you know, what is that relationship like for you? How much do you lean on the trainer for motivation? Um, I would say 90% of my career, it's, it's been me, it's been me wrestling with the stuff myself and getting, getting through, you know, I, I maybe have, have leaned on the people around me more like my, you know, my ex-wife or, you know, my, you know, my, 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 my dad or something like that. Um, I, I have, I have at times kind of got got that got that pep talk from from Greg Jackson who is phenomenal at that by the way um but you know in anymore i you know no it's just it you know my my training with my with my with my guys right now it's a collaborative effort um you know it's i've been around this game you know maybe as long as they have and you know we're we're in there and we're you know we're developing these tactics and this game plan as as we go um but a lot of a lot of the, the the mental aspect as far as wrestling with wrestling with all that the fear and the anxiety that's mostly I, I take that on myself. Let's talk a little bit. Tell people about your the, the denim jeans you've got. You've got some jeans out there that are you know that are comfortable that are flexible. That tell us a little bit about how you got involved in the in, in the jeans. And, and, and why this gene is so great. Cause I, you know, me, I don't know, Phil, I don't know, you know, maybe no one, I should be buying these jeans. So tell us about these jeans and how you got involved uh, and then how people can get them. 
Sure, sure. Um, yeah, so uh, I, I'm doing a collaboration with a company called Scene Studios, and they make uh, custom custom denim jeans, real, real high quality stuff. Um, and uh, basically, it's it, it's it's customized. So, however, you know, if you're you know tall with you know you know big way, you know, like whatever, whatever your dimensions are, you can basically go in and have a custom pair of jeans made for you that fit correctly. Right. And how this came about was, um, they had reached out to me on Instagram. They wanted, you know, they, you know, wanted to send me a pair of jeans and see, you know, see if I, see if I like them, see if I like the concept. And, you know, when I got the jeans, I, I, I loved them, man. I, I, it was, it was perfect because, you know, I'm, I'm built like, you know, I'm, I'm a tall, lanky guy, but as an athlete, I'm kind of, you know, I got thick legs and, you know, a big ass and thin, you know, skinny, skinny waist. So I'm always ripping my jeans. They're just not made. They're not made for me. And, you know, so I, I, I reached back out to them. I was like, dude, let's do something a little bit more robust and, and like, you know, create, create like a, a, a partnership here. Um, because I have this, and if I have this problem, I know a, a bunch of other guys, a bunch of other athletes, just probably just normal people have have a similar, uh, you know, have, have a similar problem finding finding clothes that fit them because everything is just made, you know, just just you know, uh, like basically like a cookie cutter. So um, yeah, so Steve, the dudes at Scene Studios, man, um, we we put together a, a pretty cool collaboration. We're going to continue to do things and. Uh, um, it's been, it's been awesome. And the feedback so far, people love, people love the jeans. Yeah. You got me interested because it, it, it is, you know, there, there's a lot of different dimensions to jeans. You know, you can have great material, but they don't fit you right. Then you've got, um, it's, it's just so, I mean, there, there is a lot to be said for jeans that fit you well, right? Like there, it's very few, but like when a jean fits you well, it's like, damn, this jean, you know? And then, but then you even got to watch with how much you dry it, or do you just do you air dry it more? You know, it's a lot because you can have your favorite jeans, you dry them too much, then they then they don't fit you quite the same way. Uh, so now that, that yep. I can see where you're a, you're a tweener because you do look skinny on the on the one hand, but on the other hand, like you said, your legs are bigger than a lot of people might expect. You've gotten you've gotten bigger too. I mean, I remember you when you first started. You were you were skinnier. You've you've, you've added a lot of muscle. Um, yep. I guess, Carlos, as we come down the home stretch here, would you, what, um, what do you, how much longer do you, do you want to fight and what, what would you like to get out of this? But by, by the way, really quick, would you ever go into politics really quick? Since it's in your blood, would you ever entertain going into politics? Um, I don't think that I would get involved like, uh, like, uh, trying to like run for office or be an, an elected official in any way. But, um, the, the, the lobbying side I think is, is interesting. And there, you know, there's some, some, some things that I could get behind in that, in that respect. Uh, but you know, I don't know that they may, that may be down the road, but I don't know. What do you want people to say about you as a fighter? Whenever it's said, no, you're not done. You're all in, you're excited. Now you feel, you know, you're armed with this new sense of purpose. It's fun again. When it, whenever it is done, three, four years, however many years from now, what do you want people to say and remember about you as a fighter? Um, you know, I, I want to be inspiring. I want to, I want to have inspired people to, 
to get involved, um, I, to in, inspire a, a whole, a whole, uh, generation, you know, to, to be, become fans of the sport. Um, I get, you know, I, I get a, a good amount of feedback from people saying that, that I, you know, I was one of the fighters that got them interested in the sport. And, um, you know, that, that means a lot because, you know, ultimately I'm a, I'm a fan of the sport. It's been, you know, it's, it's been a labor of love and it's been an incredible opportunity to have, have gone down this path. So, you know, I just, you know, I, I, I want to inspire people in, in, in this, in the sport and in the world. Carlos, Noah Green, thank you so much for taking care of everything behind the scenes with this. Carlos Condit, it is, uh, it's been a pleasure to catch up with you. It's been a long time. I remember writing stories about you, interviewing you way back when, and uh, it's amazing. People counted you out, and it's one of those sort of the hand from the grave moments, right? You know, don't count five in a row in the UFC, five in a row in NFL, you know, you could lose five in a row in the NFL, and the next year you maybe you make the playoffs. Five in a row in the in the UFC, four in a row. Losing four in a row in the UFC is like usually they cut people, but given your stature and your prominence, I mean, but losing five in a row and now to come back in the win column again, two in a row. I want to wish you the best of luck. Um, hey Frank, before you and, and before you wrap up, I want to jump in with a question here. Sure, sure, sure. Um, and, and yeah, thanks, uh, Frank. Um, you know, I've and Carlos, I've enjoyed watching your career over the years. I've been a you know, uh, you know, on the couch watching fan. I trained under Henzo um, Sapo, uh, Rafael Sapo Natal, gave me my blue belt um, back in New York. And um, you know, as I'm watching where you are right now in your career, um, and from your perspective, what does it look like for for you? Where you stand on the road towards the belt? You know, that, you know, now, you know, because I've I've had the opportunity to sit back and listen to the uh, to the interview. Um, and I think in my mind, as you if, if I'm watching, if I'm sitting next to you and watching you, if you were to portray in a film of how you're going to make this happen, what would what 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 are the key steps that you see um, for you to uh, make your way to the belt? You know, I'm I'm really looking to reinvent myself as a fighter. Yes, um, I have I have a well-rounded skill set. Um, you know, I've I've been known as a striker for a really long time. Um, I'm I'm a grappler, and people ask me which part of the sport I love I, I love better. You know, striking and grappling. I cannot tell you. I you know when I fight, I you know I I primarily am am you know I'm a striker. I'm looking to finish, um, but. I, I, grappling is really my first love. So, you know, really, um, cultivating my, cultivating my wrestling, getting back to a place where I'm, you know, where that's a, a, a big part of my game and that's no longer, um, uh, an Achilles heel, but an asset. And then continuing to, uh, you know, you know, expand my jujitsu game and get back to submitting people. And I think, I think that's going to be a big part, basically flipping the script. And I always have, I always have the the striking in my, in my back pocket. I don't think that's going anywhere. Um, But keeping people guessing, uh, you know, I'm developing, you know, different layers to my game. And I think that that's going to, I think that that's going to 
bode well for my success in in the future. And I, I do. I feel like I can get back into title contention um, if I continue to uh, to develop that. Yeah, I saw you throw up uh, what what looked like a potential leg triangle. Um, but you know, I envision you putting a head and arm choke on someone. Um, you know, whether it's uh, um, let me um, whether it's James Krause or Vin- Vince Luque, uh, Vicente Luque. Um, you know, uh, yeah. do you have any word on uh, what, what you're looking at for your next fight? I can't wait. Um, I don't. <laughs> I can't I, wait. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, do I me can't too. Wait. I'm, I can't I'm wait. It's exciting. I'm excited. Um, yeah, I I don't know who I'm still. You know, we're we're uh, we're in. You know, I, I still have I have yet to sign a new contract with UFC. Mm-hmm. Uh, I expect that we will, um, but we're that that's still in process. And I think soon after that, we'll have an opponent. Yeah, I mean to to watch you fight, and you know, I just saw you were throwing up so much, uh, so much. Uh, you know, when you were when you were on the ground, you were throwing up a lot of uh, potential uh, submission attempts with uh, Matt Brown. I was like. Just, you know, you can tell that he has evolved. And uh, like I said, you know, head and arm choke. I can't wait to see you do it um, in your next fight. You know, you use that elbow so well, you know, so, so fantastically. Um, um, you know, Frank, uh, Frank and I started a lot of uh, private lessons, and that's the one move we worked, I don't know, 20 private. We, we have over 20 hours on the mat of me just studying. Uh, head and arm choke, uh, and then going back to the blue basement back in New York to uh, show it. So I'd love to see see you put it on someone. Yeah, man. I you know I have I have I have a pretty deep repertoire of subs. Um, so you know I'm I'm excited to get out there and and, and uh, show show that right. I I you know I'm I'm excited. I, I'm not, I don't know what's next, but whatever it is, it's going to be fun. Outstanding. Frank, I'll let you do the close for us. Thank you. Yeah, Carlos, I'm, I'm grateful to be reunited. Um, you have an open invitation. I'd love to interview you again. I don't want. I know you're busy, uh, but I'd love to interview you again and, and talk even more about um, some non-fighting stuff as well. Because I think you're a very, uh, very talented guy, a humble guy, a very a humble, a humble champion. So, Matt, uh, Carlos Brown, thank you so much for appearing. We wish you the best of luck. We're going to be rooting for you. In that mm-hmm. next fight, Noah Green, you guys both have a great uh, rest of your Sunday. Thank you. All right, guys. Care, guys. All right, take care. All right, See you. you next time. Thank you. Bye. That's it for today's episode of Everyman BJJ. Thanks for listening. Look for new episodes of Everyman BJJ every week, wherever you get your podcast or at everymanbjj.com.